Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Jen Richards is a writer, actress, and producer who was most recently seen in HBO's Mrs. Fletcher and Netflix's Tales of the City, and is the co-creator and co-star of the Emmy-nominated series Her Stay. Story, story. story excuse me. <laughs> Thank you for the correction. Chani Nicholas is a Los Angeles-based, New York Times best-selling, Webby Award-winning astrologer with a community of over one million monthly readers. She has been a counseling astrologer for more than 20 years, guiding people to discover and live out their life's purpose through understanding their birth chart. She has been featured in the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Rolling Stone, The New Yorker, The Atlantic, and on Netflix. Please join me in welcoming Chani Nicholas and Jen Richards. We didn't plan very well. Okay. <laughs> Hi, LA. Thank you for coming out. How was your drive over? Was it a lot? <laughs> Mine was a lot. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Want to start with a land acknowledgement? Uh, we start by acknowledging the Gabrieno Tongva peoples as the, as the traditional past, present, and future caretakers of. Tovangar, the Los Angeles Basin, and SoCal, SoCal Channel Islands. To acknowledge this is not to dismiss myself or, ourself or ourselves or any, of any accountability we need to take, but it is to honor who was and is and will always be here. Okay. It sounded like there were... Oh, yeah. It, can I see the hands again? How many people are here for the first time in Skylight Books? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Do shop around. Local independent bookstores are the lifeblood of every community. I actually chose an apartment based on proximity to this bookstore. <laughs> we'll talk about why that is in a minute. <laughs> uh, I just kind of want to get started with a couple of kind of general questions yes. uh, about your approach to astrology and what intrigued me originally when, when Laura Zach started first forwarding me uh, horoscopes. Badgering years you ago. with some lady on the internet. Well, Laura is a, my co-creator of her story is a double Aquarius and I'm a triple Aquarius, which I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> and we just feel like every week it'd be like, is she reading our journal? And I've heard so many people say that exact same thing. Uh, but, but I think part of what intrigued me the most is that I feel like in this day and age we're increasingly kind of driven into these really dualistic ideologies. And in particular, when we're looking for explanations of our kind of place in the world, things tend to skew towards either mm -hmm. the individual is wholly responsible or mm. social forces mm. are, are wholly responsible. Mm. And I feel like traditionally astrologer would astrology would fall into that latter camp. There's mm -hmm. a sense that your fate is written and circumscribed mm -hmm. uh, by by your chart. Mm -hmm. And what struck me so much about your horoscopes from the start is that you find this kind of middle line mm -hmm. between those two. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you felt any tension with the way that astrology had typically been done, how much of that was your choice to, to mm -hmm. define that line. And, and if you think that's part of why it has so much, uh, your approach particularly has so much resonance today. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> the triple Aquarius question. Okay. Um, <laughs> she just thought of that when we were standing over there. Um, so, yeah, like, I am a child of both Oprah Winfrey, I don't know if you know her, of growing up on that, and of having come from this really, like, wacky, you know, place in the world called Nelson, British Columbia. I don't know if you know about that. But, so I grew up in a, in a place that was really extreme in terms of its ideologies and like being counterculture. So I had a lot of access to a lot of like self-help and what we call like new agey mysticism, which is to say a lot of appropriated Eastern culture, <laughs> misappropriated. Um, and, and also I, you know, from a young age, thankfully got to read a lot of black feminists and other feminists of color 
and indigenous feminists. And so I also had that voice or that call to action in my head. And so I really am from both of those places. Because there's something, there's like a solace that I think we need in terms of being able to care. For, and I think that now in terms of our activism, we're much more at an intersection of self-care and and public action, like we, we've kind of integrated that more. And I think when I started writing, I was part of that, you know, like I was probably late to it and listening to a lot of other people that were talking about that. But I really wanted to talk about how do we care for ourselves in the movements that we're in or in the, in the process of creating a world that might be more just and more fair and more fun. <laughs> um, how do we take care of ourselves along the way? Because I was trained, you know, from an early age to focus on that, to focus on the body and the information there. And um, by, you know, someone who initiated me into Reiki when I was 14. Um, and so I thought that there was so much there to share, but also I never wanted it to be disengaged from the, like, real life work that we need to do. Was there any tension between that attitude and, and kind of traditional forms of astrology that you might have been learning, or, or was that part of your training in astrology? No, I think that when I started writing, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of people that were in the position to teach that might have had that social justice or social awareness kind of obsession or or need, you know. And so there wasn't maybe a lot of self-reflection and a lot of the astrologers at that time like 20 years ago were very white cis you know heteronormative folks and didn't question a lot of those places that they came from so I didn't have a lot of texts that did that yeah I feel like since I mean since Ptolemy kind of codified for the Babylonian <laughs> every, that's yes. common knowledge yeah <laughs> Uh, but, but, but since the Greeks kind of yeah. adopted Babylonian astrology, it yeah. was codified and it, it was yeah. tied into astronomy and it was very much about mathematics and system and order and became yeah. very much the kind of rational yeah. head in the sky kind of thing. Yeah. And your form of, of feminism and self-care and astrology seems so more, more grounded and feminist and, and, yeah. and in our circumstance. Mm. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ptolemy. But... <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's in the practice itself, or do you just think you bring that perspective to the practice? Well, I like to say that, like, astrology is, I know we love memes about signs, and they are very fun. They are so fun. But astrology is actually about planets and the sky, and planets are physical bodies. And so if we're really in relationship with the sky, if we're in relationship with astrology, we're in relationship with actual physical bodies that correlate to physical elements, both in your body and on the earth, and that show up everywhere. And so there is, a, there is I think what the ancients did have, though, was a physicality. They understood how, the, how Venus appeared would then reflect how things on the earth and in your body had the same qualities. Mm. And so there was this very deep embodiment of astrology. And when we look at medical systems and medi like Western ways of knowing medicine, the roots of it are in astrology. So it is actually quite, it is a lot about embodiment. And I think going back to what happened was we lost a lot, like Western astrology lost its, its lineage, right? So a lot of it had to go underground and then come back, it, like kept going in and out of knowledge for a long time. In India or other places in the world, it stayed and it never got lost. But we came in and out of contact with these bodies of knowledge that came from Mesopotamia, from, from colonized, you know, Greco-Roman times. There was translations in Arabic and Hebrew and all these other d different ancient languages. So a lot of different peoples and cultures were contributing to the knowledge base. And we lost it for a long, long time and parts of it would resurface. And then over the past like 30 or so years, we've had the ability to integrate it again. Mm. Um, and so what happened in that break is things like modern astrology came up. And that was much more Jungian in nature. So that was much more about the psyche 
and the archetypal experiences of being human. So in a way, it lost the embodiment a little bit, I think, in that break. And you're bringing it back. <laughs> well, a lot of people are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the planets, w- when I think about the planets, they're yeah. rooted in very specific Greek and Roman myths. Like when I think about Mars and its kind of forceful energy, I'm thinking of the god of war versus uh-huh. you know Venus and, and yeah. Saturn. How much of our, our sense of those planets should be rooted in, in those kind of myths and how much are something more physically embodied, like you said? I think it's uh, I think there's a danger in rooting the planets too much in Greco-Roman mythologies. I think we can like skim them for some, but really they were the, those are laid on the scene even astrologically because there was Mesopotamian and all those other deities that were the first ones astrologically speaking. So really it's about the quality and the nature of the planet. Do you, do you think we layered the gods onto the qualities of the planets? Did that Well, yeah, like there's so if we want to talk about like human conscious awareness and its development over long periods of time, we made meaning out of light and we made meaning out of seasons. We made meaning out of the rising and the way the sun was during different seasons. And we made meaning out of the moon and each time it became new and full and all that stuff. And so there was a way in which we've always kind of deified those things mm-hmm. and we've always made you know, we've always had the maps of the sky with us. So different cultures made different meaning out of that, but there, in most cultural roots, there are some sort of relationship with the planets. And they might not have made them a god or goddess, but there's a feeling of who created them. So even in Judaism, it's like, okay, well, you can't really talk about astrology, but (laughs) it's still there. It's still embedded into the culture. And if you have to get down to the roots of it, then someone or something, something, some force made the planets. And so there's this feeling of it being imbued with an energy that's sacred. And who did that or what did that? You know, it's either the, the planet itself is its own thing or some greater being came about and brought those mm. into creation. So... Always good to be like, what's the quality and nature and appearance of the planet? What does it do physically in the sky? And what have what kind of myths have we made about them? Okay. I think more than because then you get into like the weird, like it's very colonized and it's very like yeah. all those Greco-Roman deities are so like white and weird and you know. Well, they were Greek. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, but like in the draw, you know, they're all like yeah. red hair. It's all the stuff. <laughs> So you, to, well, in order it to was kinda, an intensely misogynistic culture, yes. the Greek culture that, that first created yes. those stories. Yes, so I always want to go to the myths before them. Yeah. What about this notion? Uh, for me, the first kind of um, like toehold in astrology was the notion of, of four elements, because that, mm. that I could get in, three, in each of those elements in three different modes, a yeah. kind of beginning, middle, and end. That was my first, like, oh, I get that. And from there, you get the, the 12 signs. Yeah. How, what's the relationship between that and this kind of classic embodiment of the planets and their energies? Is that a system we lay on to, or do you think that's kind of Jen has a lot of air in her chart. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, so air is very intellectual. Um, Here's the thing, but, like when you're friends with Chani, <laughs> this is weird things about being friends with, because she just knows things about you and your life. <laughs> and you'll be like, oh, I had a hard day. She's like, yeah, I know. That's because it's, it's very unnerving. <laughs> yeah, so the elements speak to a lot of different things, but really just the basic elemental composition of life. So we, we need air to breathe, but also to exchange ideas. We're doing a lot of air right now. Um, then there's the fire, which is the like base of life. It's the spark. It's the creativity. It's the, the, um, the divine kind of beginning. And then there's the physicality, the earth. Um, we need earth to have a body. Taurus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then water. Yeah. <laughs> Said the triple Aquarius. Okay. With the cancer girlfriend. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, okay, so can we pivot? Okay. Oh, uh, we had to do a deal. Well, okay, can I ask one more? Yeah. Okay. You uh, can ask more also. All right. Okay. But uh, just tied to this, Yeah. would you say that you are in some way, shape, or form, 
queering astrology? And if so, what does that mean? I hope so. Because as a queer person, I don't know what else to do with something. (laughs) It's like osmosis. And I don't know what you mean when you say queering it. But to me, queering it means like turning it upside down and inside out and like on its side and like seeing what else it can do. Sorry, I'm just picturing your (laughs) wife right now. (laughs) (laughs) There's got to be more than one version of this thing. Yeah. Right. So how else? And also, how do these things show up in, in, if we're out, if we're, if we're thinking outside of heteronormativity, white supremacy, all those things, then how else do we get to live? And like, what are we not imagining? And what, how else, so how else could the planet show up? What else could they be saying that we haven't been interpreting because it's only been in this one kind of dogmatic way of looking at it? I think that's a perfect description. Thank of you. Queer. You're not taking what's given. You're finding your own way through it. Right. With the, with the system intact. Yeah, and upending Integrity. The, yeah. Yeah. The, with the integrity of the system intact, but then seeing what else the yeah. human mind might be missing. Very cool. Yeah. So I wrote a book. And in it, there's, so I wrote a book because I didn't have one to give people, and I was teaching courses online for a couple of years, and everyone would be like, I just want a book about the basics. And I'd be like, okay, there's lots of great astrology books. And also being the incredibly picky person that I am, um, I was always like, I, you know, read this one, but also maybe, you know, skip the part about the thing. And so I wanted to write, I wanted to write a version, my version of it. And I wanted to just give us a clear guide. This is a very like intro book to your chart, and it's supposed to be. Um, but I wanted to write like a clear guide into like if you would just focus on these couple of key things, then we might actually get somewhere that has that structural integrity. And then you can keep adding on to the skeletal system of what these things are. By the way, I yeah. love that because I, I feel like every other astrology book has been either like a slim guide to everything right. about your chart, <laughs> yeah. or it's like a tome this big yeah. on like one asteroid. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, but I have to go to work today. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do I do with all that? Yeah. Okay. So you should also take her courses still. They're still available on oh, her website. Oh. The one on the moon absolutely like oh blew my, my mind God. and made me feel like kind of routinely connected to the cycles of the moon in a much uh, deeper way. It's really profound. Should we start with your moon? <laughs> We were talking about this the other day, and we were, like, fighting over who was going to keep the focus on who for tonight. Okay, so when you have, in the way I look at charts, if you have the same rising sign as the sun and the moon, then to me it's all in the first house, which means that if you have both your sun and your moon, Jen doesn't also have her the ruler of her ascendant there, but sun is our essential self, moon is the body and the way in which we live out our life purpose, um, if they're both in the first house, then all of that has to do with de- self-development. And then everything, not everything in the chart, but a lot of it in your chart comes back to you and being Jen and what that means <laughs> <laughs> and bringing that out into the world. But the really cool thing that I um, discovered when I looked at your moon is I was hunting around for asteroids because asteroids are really cool. So if you have, if you know like your sun, your moon, your rising, then you look, you start looking for asteroids, see like which ones are super, super close and which might have relevance to this person's life. So I might've texted one of your good friends <laughs> another triple uh, double query sorry um and we were talking about like the names and the things that might be important to you <laughs> and so I started hunting around for asteroids and right next to your moon which is an Aquarius in the first house so what's an Aquarius moon anybody detached Detach. that's what everyone goes to <laughs> cold <laughs> aloof emotionless <laughs> How does that make you feel, Jen? <laughs> okay, wait. Let me read a touch about Aquarius. Moon and Aquarius. We'll see if the book knows anything. The moon in Aquarius needs space. Here the moon is fed by learning, communicating, and understanding the systems we live within, how they work, and how best to innovate them. 
This mood needs to be understood and intellectually challenged to feel emotionally safe. Creating security through detachment, the moon in this sign needs to find logical conclusions to the problems of the heart, and logic is hard to reach when it's embroiled in emotionality. Distance is needed if this moon is ever to sort itself and the solutions it's ne it needs out. An incredible stubbornness can set in with this placement, creating difficulty in being fluid with the ebbs and flows of emotional life. Others may experience you as emotionally remote, but... None should mistake your moon's style for a lack of feeling. The emotions are there, even if nowhere near the surface. Feelings aren't facts, but they do lead you to your truth. We were just talking, we were, um, before this started, we were in the, the annex and in the kind of manager's office of the bookstore. And it reminded me that for years I actually lived on a kind of spiritual commune and ran an independent bookstore. And it was reminding me of those days where I, no one could reach me and I had 24-7 access to a library and a bookstore. And they were like the happiest years of my life. <laughs> she was like, oh, the good old days. <laughs> No social media and yeah. just books forever. <laughs> okay, so can so your moon in the first house is like... I, yeah. I have to ask about the Please. houses because yeah. this, this is an interesting thing for me yeah. because most, I think a typical person's chart uses yeah. a different house system yeah. than yours. Yeah. And so up my whole life yeah, up to 12th now, house. everything was in, my sun and moon were in the 12th house. Yeah. And every time an astrologer looked at me, they're just like, oh, honey, yeah. I'm so, so sorry. So hard. And so I understand like if... if the change from that system to yours might go from like five to six, but I feel like from sun and moon to 12th to sun and moon and first is a radical difference. It is. How do you reconcile those two different systems? I think it's okay to see yourself in a lot of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> so you can have both, you know, like the 12th house talks about suffering and loss and isolation. And the first house talks about the you being the, the pivotal force in your life. The, the personality, the body, the way in which you facilitate yourself in the world. And it, it demands that you be a self-starter in that way. It's like, this is the, what the thing that I have and I've got to move. And so I can, see, I can see both for you. Okay. Okay, so the asteroid that you have next to your moon is Viola. <laughs> and does, that, does that strike a chord for you? Uh, my, my character in her story is named Violet after Viola from Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. <laughs> and Shakespeare's Twelfth Night is important to you, is it? Yes. Why? Uh, everything about Shakespeare is important <laughs> to me. But then that's also a gender bending, one of his really interesting gender bending ways and the ways that men and women can occupy each other's roles and the way yeah. that changes relationships. Yeah. Viola specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, so that's right by your moon. So it says that that might be an important archetype for you or something to live out. And then next to your son, I had never seen this asteroid before. Wait, hold on. Is yeah. that asteroid named after Viola from 12th Night? I don't know. Okay. It's just named that. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Curious. <laughs> okay. So then next to your son, also in Aquarius, also in the first house, is the... Is the deity now? I don't. Know, I don't speak Finnish. Does anybody here speak Finnish? No, no. one speaks Finnish. Okay. <laughs> I think that might be offensive, Jen. <laughs> no, it's just it's a very interesting right. language because it's one of only three that are not in the Indo-European right. language group in right. Northern Europe. It's a very unique one. Sorry. Again. <laughs> so Lempo is a is a a dual gendered deity <laughs> that was pre-patriarchy the goddess of love and post-patriarchy the devil wow. <laughs> and is referred to as both a goddess and a god and is both revered as loving and beautiful and evil and distort and you know all the distorted things that we put on devil on pan on bacchus on any of these kind of like deities that have to do with sex and desire and all those things. So you're saying I was destined to be trans. <laughs> I can tell my mom it's in my chart. <laughs> it's your fault. If you hadn't had me at this exact time, I'd still be a very happy boy. <laughs> or pre-patriarchy. It would all be good. Okay. Um, and then, so 
the so the sun and moon are the the sense of self and the 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 life force is the sun and then the body is is the moon and then the ascendant is the the moment that we take our first breath we look to the eastern horizon and we see the sign that's rising up over the eastern horizon so it's actually the most poignantly personal part of your chart you probably heard me say that a lot but it is the exact moment of the inhale and if we think of the inhale as some sort of yes from the spirit or from the soul or from the you that is, that is now in body on your own, um, then we can say that that's really the mark of life. So, <laughs> deep. Um, and it is also, the ascendant is that eastern horizon, so it's where the sky, the heavens, meet the earth. So it's the heavens and the earth, the soul and the body coming together, and the mark of that is the yes. Uh, actually, so in, inspire, spirit, yeah. uh, all are related to the words for breath, and, um, respiration, aspiration. So those are, have always been really closely aligned. Uh, their breath is the spirit coming into us. And I'm just shocked because I'm a midwife, and uh, so oh. we don't always breathe in the first minute we're born. Yeah. So, or, you know, so yeah. But when you mark life... Yeah. But the breath can be separate times. Ah. Oh. So maybe I'm misspeaking when I say that. No, I think you're correct. But we, we don't, when we qualify a person is born, it's not in their first breath. Not huh. everyone breathes the first moment they're born. Uh huh. Could it be minutes later? It could be minutes later. Oh. And that could make a little bit of a difference. So the book is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to edit all of that, so come to me and I'll cross it out. You're like, when you leave the body of the person that's birthed you, then you've, okay. <laughs> We're always learning. Life is a journey. <laughs> no, I think you're right. We just have to have doctors mark the time as the first breath. <laughs> okay, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Um, but we take all of those, we, we compile all of that, in astrology, the ascendant, the sun, and the moon, and we make a mathematical equation out of it. And we come up with something called the part of fortune. And there's all these different, they're called lots. They're, they're originally called Arabic lots. So they're different calculations. And so we can look at the fortune of one's life. We can look at the relationships. We can look at all these different types of lots. And so the lot of fortune, the part of fortune, is uh, it talks about the physical wealth, the wealth on the physical plane. But it's also just like how you get lucky sometimes. It's like the part of fortune. It's like you don't really deserve this, but you do get lucky. And so you have the part of fortune also in your first house. And so I know we've talked about this, but there's a, there's a mark of the life being in some way quite lucky. Yeah. And do you feel that? Yes, I've always been extremely lucky. Things just kind of work out. For me, they always have. It drives my brother crazy because he's the opposite. Yeah. Um, if he's late to something, you know, there's a disaster. If I'm yeah. late to something, it's like, oh, the seat just opened up. Can you sit down? <laughs> like, that, and that's been true of my entire life. And it's part of the reason I'm relatively stress-free because I just kind of have faith that things will work out. They always do. <laughs> well, good for you. Um, <laughs> when I met... It's contagious, by the way. Though. Yeah. It affects it people is. around me as well. It is. It's true. <laughs> um, when uh, my wife, Sonia, and I, like, committed and did the things, I looked, I was like, wait, I've never looked up her name, at, like, as an asteroid in my chart to see. So, again, sorry if you've heard this. But I did, and her name, Sonia, is on my part of fortune. Aww. So I looked at your part of fortune. <laughs> and the name... <laughs> I'm sorry if this is too much. The name Rebecca is on your part no, of fortune. It no, it isn't. I'm only saying this because it's public knowledge. That's that not possible. It's right here. <laughs> Always bring receipts. Seriously? Yeah. Okay, just for a little context, y'all. I'm. 40, this is public too. Yeah. So. I'm. I'm 44, and just for the first time in my life, like fell madly, deeply, storybook. This is my person who I want to spend the rest of my life with. Of like a month and a half ago, and her name is Rebecca. Party tricks. <laughs> I. I know, but it's there. <laughs> 
don't understand. <laughs> so this is a good uh, lesson in sometimes it takes a long time to fully live out our chart. <laughs> Right? Like sometimes there's clear markings in your chart and you might not get there until 70 or 44 or 38. And it's okay. And it's all part of the journey and it's all part of <laughs> the thing that is how we fill out the chart, right? And there's so much to do in the meantime before we meet people and do the things and write the books and all the stuff. But the markings are there, I think, and if we have faith that things will show up on their time when it's right, it will, we're, it's, fairly, uh, it's fairly inspiring to live it out and, and, and see it in our chart. Now, I wouldn't have known to look for Rebecca had she not met somebody and posted about it on Instagram. So this is also, I'm saying this is a public <laughs> thing, but, um, but I wouldn't have known, but then when you know, you can hunt around. I'm kind of stunned. <laughs> so you might also see up at the top of your chart, up here, right beside the planet, right in the in the most public domain of her chart in the tenth house of career, uh, right next to the planet of troublemaking and breaking through and and uh, paradigm shifting and being loud and uh, being a force for change is another asteroid. And can you read the name? Jen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if Jen means yeah. the name. <laughs> and I mean, it's a chosen name, yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. It's actually Jenna, but it's, yeah. it's the closest thing to Jen I could get. Man. Sorry, y'all. I'm just kind of taking this all in. Um, okay. Welcome to my book tour. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, okay. yeah. <laughs> I, I'll just keep talking for a sec. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, the other interesting thing about your chart, <laughs> I don't, know if I I, I don't have any more rabbits to pull out. I think okay. that was it. Okay. Except for one more. <laughs> On your career point, so the midheaven uh, when I, in this system is different than your, can be different than your 10th house or is a, is a point of career. And it's the point where we intersect. So your midheaven is at seven degrees of Sagittarius and the asteroid Allie is at six degrees of Sagittarius. <laughs> so remember the name Violet or Viola uh, was Jen's character in her story. And the, um, the woman who inspired her story and the co-writer and co-star's character's name was Allie. And uh, that is the project that like launched my entire career. <laughs> this, is, this is next level shit. I was not prepared. <laughs> Oh, man. So when I was texting with Laura today, she was like, look up Laura. <laughs> yeah, Allie made it. Wow. I'm going to go. I just okay. <laughs> and that concludes uh, our evening. No, okay. Okay, so, so those are some things you can do with astrology. <laughs> I, I do have a question about yeah. something you brought up because it's something that's been on my mind, and that's uh, age and yeah. the way that things change with age. I was thinking in particular, so uh, my girlfriend is a cancer with mm -hmm. a Pisces moon, which is Aww, supposed to be all about emotion. So sweet. And I'm the triple Aquarius. Are you that's nice to her? Yes, I'm very nice to her. <laughs> that's, sure. that's part of my point here, is that, and I'm the triple Aquarius that's supposed to be yeah. like so aloof and yeah. so detached and emotional. But in our relationship, she's the steady one, mm. and I'm the one who cries every single time yeah. we talk and has all these big dramas. Oh. Yeah. And I feel like it's in part because she is so emotional. Over time, she's learned to kind of restrain that, mm -hmm. whereas as for me, like every emotion that comes in like seems like a really big deal, and it's yeah. kind of still foreign and exciting, and, right. and I lean into it in a really like hard way. Yeah. So how does, how does that understanding of our chart change with age? And the way that we grow and, and kind of compensate for our own excesses. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that like what I've learned from my own chart is like the hardest parts of my chart have made me work the most. And in those, in that need to work, in the need to like get out of the pain or to find another way to do something is, um, has been a lot of growth and activity. But I think when you're, so Aquarius is so like 
if you look at the quality of the sign, it's a fixed air sign. So it has to make up its mind. It will take a while. It can take a while to get to the thing. It's thorough. It's rigorous intellectually. But if it's if you're if you have something in your chart that's really really strong, like of like a whole bunch of things in one sign, or <clears throat> even like really nice flowing trine aspects or sextiles or whatever, they don't actually make you do the work. So you can have this thing. <laughs> Again, you can have this. <laughs> you can have this thing like like you know. When I was younger, I could lift like two weights and have like bulging muscles. And I was like, whatever, everybody has that. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, that was a thing. So you ha can have these like gifts, right, that you just take for granted and you don't know or anything. Or you can have a strength or an overindulgence in something and not know it until something else, until you've lived long enough where something else comes along and confronts you with it or allows you to not hide in the strength of it mm. like would you say that having that much Aquarius made you was allowed you to have such a a strong keen awareness and ability to think and learn your way through things Absolutely. that that you might have been able to escape some of the other stuff because that was such a place of ease for you or comfort or or something that you've known yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so I want to talk about the ruler of your ascendant. Saturn. Yeah. So in... Which is also opposing my moon, I learned today. It is, no, well, kind of. It is, yeah, out of sign. It is okay. a little. It's really opposing your Mercury. Um, but, so the ruler of our ascendant steers our life in a certain direction, right? And the quality of it is really important. Like, is it in a sign that it likes? Does it, can it do its job? And where is it going? And what does that say for our life? So, Saturn is your ruler. If you have Capricorn or Aquarius ascendant, Saturn is its ruler. When Saturn is the ruler of your ascendant, your life's direction is steered by self-restraint, a sense of responsibility, and a need to accomplish something that is worth your efforts and hard work. Saturn is a planet that demands your best and as ruler of your ascendant will want nothing less than a life that leads you towards self-mastery, autonomy, and hard-earned accolades. Yeah. Sometimes with, with Saturn as a ruler of your ascendant, you don't feel at ease until you are older. As a planet that governs age, authority, and maturity, Saturn demands that you spend time developing yourself. So I don't know if you've ever like spent time <laughs> in, a, in a place where you were like, really far away from, yeah. Um, you were where? Say, tell them. Which part of that? Like, <laughs> you mean the <laughs> spiritual commune? Yeah. 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 So I was in a commune when I was young. Yeah. Was there a lot of discipline involved? Uh, I, a little bit. And then I, at the time, was, I, I, I'm drawn to asceticism. Yeah. I'm drawn to kind of monastic style yeah. um, structure and yeah. self-denial and self-mastery. Once someone once told Saturn me, is ruler. Okay. <laughs> someone once told me that this was my first lifetime outside of like a, a monastery or nunnery, yeah. and that that was the, why I had any troubles in this life is, is how to deal with life outside of those structures, and right. so I often recreate them for myself. Yeah. Uh, the most distant planet that the naked eye can see is Saturn. It has a penchant for being standoffish, even aloof. But it's not because it's uncaring. With Saturn as your ruler, you may be happy in your solitude as it allows you to get your work done, but that doesn't mean you don't need others. Because Saturn tends towards discrimination and discernment unless something else is in the, in the chart says otherwise, your life's direction will be sought after in a style that can involve a fair amount of self-denial. Can my other Aquarians raise their hands so I'm not alone in this? <laughs> Is this resonating with all of you as well? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Okay, I'm going to skip to, so, so that's, the, that's the planet that rules Jen's life. Like that's the nature of the thing that guides her and steers her. So there's got to be a little bit of uh, self-denial, some, something that feels a little harsh and hard to attain. Mm -hmm in order to f for you to get to do it. Yeah? Yes. Okay. So, <clears throat> Jen Saturn is in Cancer. Captain Eeyore. Oh, 
Saturn and Cancer or Leo. Saturn is in its detriment in Cancer and Leo. Like all planets in their detriment, Saturn struggles to find its way in these signs. Being ruled by the planet associated with self-restraint and self-mastery is pretty straightforward. But when that planet feels out of sorts, you might wonder where, you put, where to put your wisdom or why it isn't appreciated. Saturn's whole focus is to be in control, but in, the, but in these signs, that isn't so easy. Extra effort is required of you. I'm going to skip ahead. Saturn and Cancer. In Cancer, Saturn has a hard time building and maintaining the boundaries that are helpful for growth. We need to be solid in some places, but permeable in others. In, uh, and Saturn and Cancer can confuse the two, and issues of emotional control can abound. Part of your life's journey might be to stifle your emotions as a means to control life. This is an understandable defense mechanism, but not one that's helpful in the long run. You may also need to be over, you may also tend to be overcome with emotions, unable or unwilling to build structures that you need to hold, that you need to hold your experiences. Saturn rule people tend to have a harder time in their younger life. Age brings a kind of comfort and wisdom that Saturn feels more dignified in. In Cancer, Saturn's hard shell can protect you from being permeated by important reflections or much-needed feedback. Defensiveness becomes a thorn in the side. Da-da-da. Cancer, uh, impeding your ability to flourish, you'll need to learn how to hold space for your feelings without trying to control emotional life. If you can do so, you'll become an insightful guide for others into their own healing journey. <laughs> Does any of that resonate with you? Uh, yes, absolutely. Self-denial, I get, uh, I feel like emotions come on really strongly and yeah. they're really overwhelming yeah. and I, I don't like it at yeah. all. <laughs> I always joke that I'm like a great girlfriend until I'm in a relationship and then once <laughs> I'm in, I'm just like, I feel like I'm an insane person <laughs> because every little, like little bit of jealousy or whatever it is just like yeah. feels like a, a, a tidal wave and my reaction is just to get away from it. Right. Like just... I can't have this conversation, need to go for a walk, or even just, I don't want to be in relationships anymore. Right. Like it's too messy. Right. I don't like the mess. Right. So Aquarius, sun, moon rising, but then the emotional, the, so the planet that steers you is in an incredibly emotional sign. And so you're the ruler of your ascendance in the sixth house of work and work projects and health and a lot of other issues. But have you found that finding healthy or good or positive work structures for you has been a place where you can actually facilitate that deep emotional energy reservoir of energy and put it to use in yeah, I mean, some that's, way. I mean, that's exactly right. And yeah. it also corresponds with um, growing more uh, comfortable and dignified with age. Yeah. So I came to Hollywood when I was about 38, 39, somewhere around there. And that's when I really like found my place and found my people and found the people um, there's actually, there was a line somewhere in the book, actually, let me just pull it up real quick, because uh, it cracked me up, like, how me it was. Uh, the people you were closest to may need to work with you in order to be part of your world. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine once asked, she goes, Jen, do you have any friends or do you just have collaborators? <laughs> And my, my immediate response was, why would I be friends with him when I couldn't work with? Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. So Saturn, the workhorse, rules her ascendant, and it's in the place of work and work projects. So the life is, the life is, is styled towards an intellectual pursuit and um, being able to develop, develop and utilize your capacities in that way and then go to work. <laughs> Good. I don't want to stop. <laughs> um, okay. You want to go back to you? Well, I, I do want, I want to ask about yeah. love Oh, a little bit. Oh. Uh, and the way that our charts relate to other people. Yeah. Uh, and particularly with you and your wife, Sonia, you're yeah. one of the most incredible couples I know. Mm. There's clearly such an adoration and uh, a balance of qualities yeah. where you both seem to bring out the best in each other and mm. uh, support the, the, the parts that might struggle. Mm. And you definitely see more than the sum of your parts like mm. as a couple. How, how do we use our charts when we're um, help to help inform relationships. Mm. Is that a danger to think like, oh, you know, I'm Aquarius, so I shouldn't date a cancer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. So how do we begin to approach that? Or is that too next level for <laughs> this? Well, I think you should always get to know somebody first and foremost, and not at all worry about their astrology, unless you can do it in a way that it feels helpful to you. But 
obviously too many people like want to pigeonhole other signs that aren't their favorites and then it just it makes astrology so shallow okay, and so, but be honest how yeah. quickly did you look at Sonia's chart <laughs> I so <laughs> We met in a professional setting, and she asked me to give her a reading, and so I got her information, and then I realized that we there was something there between us, and I said, I, I absolutely can't give you a reading, but I had glanced at her chart, <laughs> and the only thing I thought when I glanced at it was, well, no wonder, like, everyone must fall in love with you, because she's got a very charming chart. <laughs> also an Aquarian, by the way. <laughs> Truly. Um, Yeah, so I think that it's really about, like, our charts don't thematically, like, you couldn't pick up a book and be like, oh, Chani's this and Sonia's that mix or match or anything. But there's... Yet there are literally books that do just that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Where you look up your date and someone else's and it tells you this is your relationship. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But there's her, her Venus is able to access so her planet of connection and love and joy and all the things is really good and it also accesses my chart it's it's like it's the thing that gets in so i have a chart i have a lot of saturn stuff i also have saturn cancer woo woo for like the 40 something year olds no um <laughs> a couple of us have it like if you're born in that two and a half year period you have that thing so I also have the like the boundary issues and the being too boundaried and like super emotional and like what do you do with it all? And her Venus like just gets in. It's like it's like you know in that cartoons where like the doors closing and then the <laughs> superhero like slides through the thing. That's how I feel like her chart is with mine. Huh. Her Venus is in Pisces. <laughs> Your Venus is in Pisces, obviously. Um, And so, and Venus has a way, Venus in Pisces is exalted. It's like really powerful. So the love thing is easy for that one particular placement. And so it gets in and it does this thing with my chart that feels like I was able to trust her. And the love that she has was able to get in in a way. So it got through my like Saturn and Cancer super defensiveness and somehow just like rendered me like defenseless. It, like, it, she was like a kryptonite. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it just relaxed me in that way. But uh, I made her go get a reading from somebody else and I didn't, I purposely didn't look. But then she's an Aquarius. So like within six weeks, she had learned everything she could about astrology. <laughs> And then she was telling me stuff about <laughs> astrology. And I was like, oh, my God, you're disgusting. Like, how smart are you? Um, so beware. Uh, but, yeah, so then it was like, okay. Then she was telling me everything about her chart. I, I couldn't find your chart today when no. I looked for it. No, no, I don't talk about it. Why not? Because it's like the thing I have for myself, oh. you know? And also, I don't want think people to think, like, they... Uh, aren't getting the right horoscope because I I don't know whatever you know okay yeah okay but at the very least because I'm a secretive bitch you being Taurus <laughs> you sure not Scorpio <laughs> uh, maybe but you're being Taurus that I mean that that is public knowledge your birth date is is out no. there Mm-mm. it's no nowhere yeah I found it today really yeah your birthday what does it say well, I want one case it's not it's wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. Then I have no follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, should we go to audience? Yes, I think yeah. that's a good time. Do Does anybody have a question? We have a Q&A thing. Yeah. Yeah? Um, if you wrote a, your question on a note card, please pass it up to me. If you need a note card, there are um, note cards up at the front register and people coming around with note cards.
Are these other, these are all asteroids? Yeah. Oh, is all of this? No, no. If you need a note card, raise your hand. Oh, are we doing it now? I've collected some cards. You want oh. to them and just Oh, yeah, yeah. Like oh, sorry. Okay. Just read the question into the mic. Um, you grab a couple and I'll grab a couple. Okay. See. Any, more, any more questions? Want to pass them forward? Oh. Actually, okay. This one Why is everyone so volatile towards Scorpios? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Uh, why do you believe astrology has grown in popularity within the queer community specifically? You've heard me answer this question so many times, no? Okay, I'll do it again. Because I think that we need, as human beings, we do need context. A lot of us need ritual. A lot of us need a kind of larger framework to see ourselves within. It can be soothing, and we've done it time immemorial. Not everybody needs it, but a lot of us do. And I think if, if our religious institutions and spiritual institutions are made by humans, which they are, they're gonna be rife with all sorts of things like homophobia and transphobia and heteronormativity. And so it can be a really inhospitable environment for queer folks and Therefore, we need things that are going to be adjacent to that or separate from it and give us a reflection of ourself that is more real, I think, or more resonant with who we are. So, and, but then astrology still has, I mean, astrology is done by humans, so there still is all of that. But I think because it's a system that you can kind of be like, I can learn this and then I can take it and make it mine, you can queer it for yourself, right? that true? Uh, there's a lot of really great questions here. A lot of them are very uh, specific about some of the more... About their own chart. Well, yeah. well, yeah, of course, but also just uh, about some of the things that you brought up tonight, yeah. you know, place of fortune, asteroids, uh -huh. all those yeah. kinds of things. Uh, where can people go if they want to go beyond this book into those kinds of details? Um, well, a lot of astrologers have a lot of great courses that you can study with people. There's a lot of great books. Um, I've got other courses online that are compatible with this. And I'll have more stuff out in the next like six months that will be supportive and will help you to further your journey with your chart. But like there's like, you know, there's different websites and the, on astro.com you can go in and like there's a gajillion asteroids. You just have to know what you're looking for. So it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but you can start playing around with it. Serenu is a really good database of ephemeris of asteroids if you want to start looking at them. Demetra George has incredible online classes about asteroids that are just mind-blowing. She's an encyclopedia. Uh I imagine there's quite a few people and there's a couple questions about it who, uh, for various reasons, don't know their exact birth date or at yeah. least birth time. Yeah. Uh, how would those people be best approaching astrology? Well, do whatever you can. Like in the book, I'm like, you know, if you know the hospital that you were born in and you can write to them and be like, I really need a long form birth certificate with my time of birth on it, maybe you'll get it. If you can't, then you can just look at the way that the sky was set up that day. You can use a noon birth time and kind of not pay as much attention to the houses, but really pay deep attention to the aspects between the planets. What if they don't even know the date? Then, then astrology is not the way to go. Okay. It's a really biased system. That's yeah. the bias. It's not, it's not good for everybody. Okay, I can't not ask this. Okay. Have you looked into the presidential candidates' charts? Oh, God. All of them? No, I have work to do. <laughs> uh, we have talked in the past, though, about yeah. Donald Trump's chart. That person. Yes. Uh, it's yeah. dirty uh, in my mouth. <laughs> um, but... 
Is there a way to astrologically look at the kind of larger political climate, or do you really have to look specifically at each of these individuals? You can look at the chart for for the United States of America. So, yeah. It's called the Sibley chart, and it is a chart for the moment that whatever, after, you know, all the stuff. And so that has a chart, and it's, have you know, the America's having a Pluto return, and all the a lot of the gnarly stuff that happened at the beginning of this year, beginning of 2020, is right around the America's Pluto. And it, the America's chart is a lot about, shockingly, freedom and also homeland security. <laughs> Weird mix, but... Um, so a lot of that stuff is getting triggered. Based on that, do you, yeah. can you tell us anything about yeah. what's coming down the pipeline? <laughs> <laughs> Give us something to hope for, please. Okay. Uh, well, we should all be part of the change. Otherwise, there you go. it'll be not the change that you want. Sorry. <laughs> I meant that in a lighter, more fun way. <laughs> okay. What do you think about progressed sun and moon? They're great. Um, <laughs> progress sign only changes signs once every 30 years. So when you're, pro so progression, progressions are a symbolic look at your chart where you have like a day per year. So things can progress in really, if you look at your progressions when planets change signs or when you have a progressed full moon, new moon, first quarter, last quarter, really important timing technique. Um, yeah. Uh, going back to the whole house system versus others, do you suggest that people just kind of pick one and learn from there, like particularly when they're working through your book, or compare both and see which one resonates? I don't like the, you know, see which one resonates because you will pick the thing that you think you should be. <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe that we should like know the philosophical roots or reasons why the thing exists in the first place and then pick from there. Like whichever one is philosophically sound to you specifically, then I think you should go with that and understand what else it's connected to. I understand that that takes a lot of work. There's a lot of great resources out there, but, and also just do what your favorite astrologer does and see what kind of information you have. If the information has integrity and if it gets you somewhere, then it's great. But a lot of people are like, well, technically I'm a Libra, but I feel much more like a Virgo. You're like, but okay, well, where's all the rest of the stuff in your chart? Like, it's really about understanding the system that you're working within, not having the mirror look like you think you should look. And to be clear, your favorite astrologer prefers the whole house system. <laughs> <laughs> but I love all of it. Uh, this is interesting. What is... What is the thing you've learned about yourself since the book came out as you've been oh touring and asking, having all these conversations? <sighs> um, Aside from you're tired. <laughs> uh, I have learned about myself. Um, God, that's a great question. I, the book taught me so much and the process of it was really harrowing and very important. And the book really taught me how to stand, how to, how to advocate for myself. So nothing about this book would be like it is if we, we, my wife and I, and Mimi also, but really in the beginning, I had to learn how to be like, no, this is how it's going to be. This is the cover we want. Like I had to fight for everything. And when I first got the deal, because it's a, you know, fancy publisher name that's on it, I really thought that they knew everything and that they should, they knew best. And this is why I, you'll hear me say this a lot <laughs> because it's from experience, but never, ever, ever give your power away to an organization or a company or an industry because they have legacy. They do not know your capacity, they do not know your talent, and they do not know your power. Only you know that. Never, ever, ever give it away. I promise you it will be worth the fight, and fight like hell for your art, always. Just that. Isn't that the first rule in your book, not to give your power away? Yeah, yes. I finally learned it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what's best for your art, right? <laughs> I'm going to take 
you everywhere. Can you just come? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Keep coming in. Can you clarify? Go a little further on why the ascendant is the best starting point for understanding your chart. Because it's the most personal to you if you get the right time and all that. But. Um, because the moon will be in the same couple of degree, like the same degree for a couple of hours, depending on what sign it's in. The sun will be in the same sign. It will be in the same degree for that whole day. But the ascendant degree will change, and then therefore the sign will change. Again, depending, some signs are longer than others, but uh, they take longer to pass. But you're, the ascendant changes every couple hours. So it's really so personal, because nothing else in the sky will change sign that day. And because the ascendant then shifts, the, like the sky appear, appearing to shift, but it's, it will detail all the houses and how they're set up in your chart. And so it says where your sun is. It says where your moon is. It says where all the planets are. And so it gives you the framework. Like, we're all here, but we're at Skylight Books, like in LA. And that's the ascendant. Hmm. It's like, you're you, I'm me, but we're here because of... This is a, we can say this is the house, like this is the third house of learning and talking and communicating. And we only know that because the ascendant was at a certain point when you were born. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. What kind of metaphors do you find yourself reaching for when you're explaining astrology to people? I had once heard that, yeah. uh, I think it was Stephen Forrester wrote yeah. that the the planets are the actors, yeah. the sign they're in are the roles they're playing and the houses yeah. are the scenes yeah, that's in, in my the play book. of your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's like a pretty common, like we all do that. Are there other <laughs> good metaphors you think kind of work or is that the one you I like it because the houses are literal physical spaces, right? Like you're in one place, like you're different in a bookstore than you are at the bar, maybe, unless you're Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Jen is still reading a book everywhere. at the bar. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 100%. Uh, there are a lot of variations on this question, which is basically, despite everything we've said, <laughs> how do you overcome incompatibilities in your chart or, or negative things in your chart or signs that you don't like and their influence or all the kind like of... How do you be a human? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like you work, you work. That's, but yeah, you work on yourself. And you see what's like, why don't you like it? If it's you, why don't you like it? It's there for a reason, I think. And so I think that your whole chart is there for a reason. And your job is to find out what that reason could be. And it could be a lot of different ways. And it will be in one way when you're 20 and one way when you're 70, God willing, we get to see that. And so you get to be like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> what else? <laughs> like, why? What is this thing that I am disowning? So it's really like, how do we own ourselves? How do we own our chart? How do we own? We, we want to always go towards the pretty and the present of the presentful. That's not a word, but <laughs> you know, like, what can I present to the world and get accolades for? But I think that the real like stuff is in the thing where we, what we're ashamed of, where is our bitterness? Where is our, do we have hatred in us? Like, where are those things that we're just like, oh my God, I can't even believe this is here. But it is. And unless we're conscious of it, it's going to be leaking out onto everything we do and, and poisoning certain things that we're trying to make right. And only with consciousness, I think, can we be like, oh, that's, actually, sorry, about that. that's actually, I did that. Let me cleanse that or let me like repurpose this thing that's been disrupting the connections in my life or disrupt, disrupting my ability to really create something and make life happen. And I think that's where the healing is and that's where the energy is. I mean, that goes back to where we started. It's not yeah. this um, fate that you are consigned yeah. to. Uh, and there are systems that are beyond just your individual will. And like yeah. we have to dance through all of those different factors and ultimately take responsibility for ourselves and work with what's given. Yeah, like your chart speaks, and so does mine, speaks so much to self-acceptance mm -hmm. and being like, oh, actually, this is who I am and I'm going to live out my life as me. And what do I have to do? What do I have to disengage or, you know, heal or get through in order to actually be me in the world in a really, what to me is what a, is a, an authentic way. 
All that being said, I think we can all agree that Aquarians are the best sign. The best sign. Of the house, though. <laughs> <laughs> that part's objectively true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'll always give you the information you need, for sure, for sure. And that's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> Any more? Let's do one more. Okay. Do you have? Do you have a good one? No, I don't. I did these ones. Um, okay. How about uh, if someone here wanted to become a professional astrologer? Yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> what the question is? <laughs> um, How I does th- one become a professional astrologer? There's yeah. not like a college program there, uh, for that. I mean, there are. There, I think in England they still have. Oh, really? Yeah. And they, they did in America. There's stuff online. You, I think Kepler College still has... Really great programs. Um, I think find a teacher, study with them, stick with it. Do something for a year and a day, at least, before you know if you like it, you want to do it, what have you. I come from traditions where you, where you dedicate yourself to a rigorous study time under somebody that can guide you and do the things. And it's not that they're great or they know everything. It's just that they have... Uh, had a lot of time with the thing. And so, you know, aligning yourself with people that you feel have a, have had good time with it and know and have integrity with how they use it and then really devoting your life and yourself to it for a year and a day, that's a, like a magical principle, at least, just, just as the first step, as the first beginning with it. Yeah. A year and a day. year and a day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so Thank you all very much for coming. Much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.